listening to the Grace City Church podcast. Make sure to check us out online at gracecityvegas.com. Also, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Grace City Vegas. Well, good morning, church. Hope you guys are doing well this morning. Um, you know, I had uh, this moment as I was, uh, if you guys don't know me or my family, uh, the one on the keyboard and the one on the guitar, both my daughters, you just had this little proud papa moment as uh, Tati was singing and I was just like, oh Lord, you're so good, you know, because as much credit as I would love to take that that's, they're so good vocally and with their instruments and stuff like that, that doesn't come from me. Uh, that comes from the Lord and uh, I'm thankful uh, for that as well. Well, we've been in this, uh, this series, Stories, as we just are going through stories in the Bible and we're pulling out uh, God's word and we're looking at it. Um, one of the uh, uh, things that we're doing now is that we get closer to Easter is we're pulling out these uh, stories of Jesus and we're talking about them. Well, one of the questions I have for you as we begin to dive into the Word of God is, have you ever noticed how a lie can move you from ignorance to sin in a moment quickly? Now, I know that's a pretty vague statement, and if you already don't have something in mind that comes up, you might be like, what? What are you talking about? Because sometimes that sin is not like what you think. It's, it's where we fall into this lie of this belief system, and then we begin to turn, our heart turns away from the Lord because it's something we believe that man has said or, or says about us or something like that. Let me give you an example. This is, this is a true story of me at nine years old, but I'm going to tell it as though it is you as well so you can picture this. You're at a friend's house. It's a summertime. They have a pool. You're swimming in the pool, and, uh, and you want a drink. You're thirsty, so you, you get out of the pool. You dry off, and you go inside, and, and your friend's mom's in the kitchen making lunch, and you ask for, can I have a drink? I'm thirsty, and she says, yes. And so she, she gets you the drink, and she hands it to you, and as she hands it to you, she reaches down, and she pinches your belly fat right here, just pinches it and goes, oh, someone's getting a little chubby. And you're like, what? You don't, how do you respond to that? Thank you. I don't, I don't know what to say in this moment. And so you turn around, you just walk out. But in this moment of what you've never considered about yourself, all of a sudden you're like, am I fat? I'm nine. I'm, I'm supposed to be chubby because I'm growing. I, I, need, I need baby fat. Wait, it, am I okay? And you start looking at other kids your age and be like, well, he, does not, he doesn't have a belly. He's not fat, right? We all have maybe have something similar like this of where you were ignorant and then all of a sudden there's this lie that's told and then you begin to move and go down this wrong road, right? We can imagine all of the stories, especially if you were older, if you were middle school or high school, right? And what that would mean as far as your looks and your identity and all those different things. What's hard about this is this is understanding that this lie that the, the enemy is coming after us, it is very specifically targeted for our identity, for our self-worth, uh, all these different things that we see over and over again. If, you, if, if we were to write down our struggles, the, things, the, the main thing that you struggle with, at the core of it is probably one of these things. And, and at the core of that is a lie that you believe from the enemy. And so, um, I, I'll give you another example. There, there's, that's kind of very specific. How about this? And this is very, very simplistic in the sense of what can happen to us, but have you ever been in you're about to go into a meeting, say with your company, your boss or something, and there's a reconciling that needs to happen of something. Like uh, there's been a, an account that has been lost, like a customer, or there's been uh, some complaints of something, or, or there's something that needs to be answered for it. Maybe it's not you, maybe it's not your fault, but you're, you're the one to give the answer. 
Or maybe it's a, a conversation with a friend, and they're a certain way, and they don't know that they're a certain way. And nobody wants to tell them because they're a certain way, right? And you get to be the lucky one to tell them. You love them, and you want to tell them this truth. So you're bringing this truth, you're reconciling this fact or something, maybe it's work or whatever. You're talking to a third party. You have a friend. And maybe, unfortunately, it's a Job's friend. But you have a friend, and you're trying to get some wisdom on this. And so as you're talking through, you kind of get exasperated because there's no real, like, you know, solid answer. You're like, well, I'm just going to tell them the truth. I'm just going to go in there. I'm going to tell my boss the truth. It's something that they have been overlooking. They need to know this so they can make the corrections. I, I need to tell my friend this thing because obviously nobody wants to say, I'll do it. I'll fall on this, my sword. I'll tell them the thing that nobody, you know, wants to tell them. And your friend says, oh, don't do that. Don't do what? Don't be honest. If you walk into that meeting and you say that, they're going to crucify you. They're going to pin this on you because they don't want to deal with this thing. And so you are going to be the sacrifice, the example. Don't go in there and say that. You tell them what they want to hear. You kind of dance around it or whatever. Nothing ever really gets resolved, but it doesn't stick to you. Don't tell the, your friend that. You know how they are. They're going to rally all the other friends in the group against you because they're going to be mad at you for saying those things about them because they can't receive that truth. And in this moment, this thing that you've never considered, all of a sudden pops up of, I can't tell the truth. And fear and doubt of what you were going to do begins to take root. You see how this lie can just persuade us in a moment from ignorance of something you've never even considered, and you move over to this specific area. Even a compliment can move you from ignorance to pride in a second. You know that? I had this happen to me when I was six years old. It's funny, as I was writing this, the Lord brought this back to me, and I haven't thought of this in I don't know how long, at least two decades or more, maybe three, I don't know, forever ago. I forgot this happened. Uh, I used to play baseball, and uh, I played for like six or seven years, loved it, took to it really quickly, just loved everything about it. Six years old, start playing t-ball. We have our first practice. You know, you got a bunch of five, six-year-olds. They are not good, you know, so God bless coaches everywhere who, you know, do sports with ones like there because definitely there's no there's no payoff in, like, winning and stuff like that. You know, everyone wins and, you know, whatever. Everyone gets candy afterwards. My coach is explaining the game to us, our first practice. He's, you know, telling us the positions and stuff, and, and he's making sure we all have a glove and it's broken in well and stuff like that. And so we get up to do some batting practice. He wants to see what everyone can do. And this one kid gets up, and he misses. He hits the tee. The ball just falls straight down. This was a common thing that happened over and over again as people got up. And I, I had never swung even a bat before. Uh, and so I was like, oh, this is going to be awful. Like, if these guys are doing this, I'm, I'm definitely going to be, like, the worst. And so I got up there, and I'm, like, lining it up like I knew what I'm doing, you know, like I've seen on TV and stuff. And I hit the ball with everything I have, and it goes over the fence. It's a home run. Now, it's a small field. It's a t-ball field, so I was not bionic or anything. <laughs> but for a six-year-old, it was, it was pretty good. And so my coach was like, wow, that's amazing. He's like, Let me, let's do that again. He puts it on there, and I hit it, and it, like, hits the fence. I mean, it goes, like, almost all the way. And in the next couple of practices coming up, he's, he pulls me aside, and he's throwing me pitches. He wants to see the extent of my, my talent and how good I am. He doesn't know that I've never really done anything. I don't know anything. I don't know how to really play. I'm just swinging the bat as hard as I can, and I have good hand-eye coordination. 
And so I'm hitting home runs. Like, it's just coming natural to me. I'm like, this is my purpose in life. I, I have found my calling at age six. I need just to be a professional baseball player. What was funny was is I never really actually wanted to be a professional baseball player. I just always just wanted to beat the team that we were playing. That was it. I never had these aspirations of like thought that I would play professional one day. I'm like, I just want to win. And I also want to be the best on my team. Like I want to be the MVP and I want to win every game. That's what I, and I want to hit home runs. That's all I want to do. Just like a machine, just getting up there, hitting home runs. That's all I want to do. And I remember my coach pulling me aside and said, Michael, you have a lot of talent when it comes to baseball. You have really good hand-eye coordination. You're really strong. It's amazing that you can hit home runs and you don't really have any kind of like practice or training, which is just amazing. If you keep this up, you're going to go far in, in playing baseball. Now, uh, I went far playing six, seven years. My father passed away. I got into drugs and doing my own thing. And so, you know, I don't have this belief that I could have ever been professional, but I probably could have played in, in up into college at, at, my, at my best, probably. But in that moment at six, when my coach said that, I would have never said this at six years old because I was six, but this is what, thinking back, this is what got into my brain. This is the idea. Strength plus achievement equals praise and worth. Strength plus achievement. Because you know what? Nobody did that for anybody else who, like, you know, hit a double or got on base. They're like, yay, Johnny, good. You didn't hurt anybody this time. Good job. <laughs> I hit a home run. Everyone's like, even on the other team, you know, people are like, what? I saw their faces. I'm like, oh, people recognize this. I like this. This is great. I'm going to hit home runs all the time. And this is what I developed out of this moment. Now, fast forward 20 years. I'm working at the 25th largest church in America. There's a purpose. I'm not bragging. There's a purpose to saying that. Is because this was a professional environment where they hired the best of the best of the best with honors. You know, the CFOs out of major corporations who know business front and back. Professionals, like, this is the first time I was in a church where I was like, oh, I feel like any given moment I could be out of line and get in trouble. Like, I mean, there's a lot of, like, adulting happening here. Like, I don't, where's the fun, you know? I brought the fun. But as I looked around, I was like, I didn't default back to strength and achievement equals praise and worth. But because I held such a high value on strength and achievement and I saw it everywhere, my thought pendulum swung to the other side and said, man, I really fooled these guys. How did I get a job here? Both are lies. One leads to pride that we think of, of arrogance, and the other leads uh, to pride of, uh, of being apathetic and not doing what God has called you to. Why was my thought not, no, God has called me here. This is where I'm supposed to be. I was like, ugh, if they ever knew, they'd fire me. I definitely don't belong. I better find another way to bring some value to myself. So I built relationships with people. As I was the IT guy and I would go and fix computers, I would build relationships with them. But this kind of thinking worked its way all throughout my life, and I still have it a bit that I deal with. Uh, when I was going to school and I was getting my degree in computer networking and, and computer science and stuff like that, there was this moment where all these, in this uh, technology school, there was all these people getting degrees in different areas of technology. But uh, one class that most of us had was this networking class, and you, you had to go through it. I needed to because it was a, a core part of my degree. 
And we had this competition at the end of the semester for everybody in the class. It was these two-man teams. You had to build a network, and whoever could do it the fastest. You'd have two networks, and they had to talk to each other. I know, a lot of beep, boop, boop, boop. You don't know what I'm saying. It's fine. If you do know, cool. If you don't, just know that it was a thing. You had to put together switches and routers and computers, and one had to talk to the other, and whoever could do it the fastest. So me and this guy, we, we did it. We came up with a plan, and, and we, we did our time. Now, up until that point, the fastest that somebody had done it was about four and a half minutes they'd put this network together. We did it in 58 seconds, and, which was really, really fast. And we celebrated. We were excited. It was sponsored by Cisco. And so we got this fancy polo shirt that had embroidered Cisco Network Champion. And I was like, the heck am I going to wear this thing? This is ridiculous. No, I'm never going to wear this. And we had bragging rights. But within the matter of moments after coming home and telling Natasha, and she, just like you, doesn't really know that stuff, and was like, great. Is that, is that, is this good? I mean, it sounds good. You won something. You got a shirt. That's nice, right? <laughs> moments after that, I begin to pick it apart. Ah, anybody could have done that. I could teach anybody how to do that. It's just some memorization of what to do and the order and to do it, and it just really comes down to dexterity and, and being under pressure. And just downplay it, that shift, that pendulum swing over here and not knowing what the value is and being able to celebrate that. And God, you've gifted me to have that understanding. Not everybody can understand that. I get it. We have, you have people in your family and they're like, I'm trying to get on the Google. And, and you're like, oh my gosh, how do I explain this to you over the phone? <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> not everybody understands technology, right? And so God has blessed me with a mind to understand that. Instead of celebrating that, I just downplay it and just be like, ah, not of any value. Why? Because it, it wasn't the greatest thing that I've ever done, and everything always has to be the greatest thing that trumps everything. Now, I've been overseas and been a medic and have saved people's lives and under fire and combat and all these movie-type things. When I, when I came back to the States and I was doing IT, I'd go fix something, come back and be like, how'd it go? They meant really, like, close out the ticket. How did it go? And I'm like, another life saved. Fixed a printer. And it was just this low thing of, like, anybody could have done that. Literally, it was just unplugged, and they didn't know it. I just went and plugged it back in, you know? And the value for everything was really low. Well, why? Well, because this stems from this lie that I had believed such a long time ago. And through the years, my, it, for me personally, my striving and achievements and everything like that has it's been this hard time because of that, understanding a couple things from God. Understanding his presence, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, and especially how to receive when he's being gentle and good. You know, it's like that person who gets a hug and doesn't want it, and they're standing there like this, and they're like, oh, let this be over with. That's how I've been most of my life with the Lord. Why are you hugging me? I've done nothing to deserve this. This is so awkward. I bring nothing to the table. I hate every moment of this. You can only hug me and love me if I have done something of value. And a lot of us, you may not say that specifically, but a lot of us have these lies that we believe and it puts us on this path of striving or comparison and it robs us of joy 
and our purpose in Christ. So how do we uproot these lies? How do we discover that we are wearing these chains? There's so many people in the church today that are in bondage. They are in chains and they don't even realize it because you've taken in what your parents have showed you or what you've seen on TV or what you've fallen into of what it means to be the church and you have believed it because some of that has resonated with you and your personality. And you're like, yes, I go to church on Sunday. I put in my tithe check. I maybe every once in a while go and I'll serve with Sherry and I'll serve the homeless and I'll do this and that and I'll check the boxes. And I'm not saying any of these things are bad. Please come to church on Sunday. Please give the Lord your tithe. Please serve with Sherry. But when that becomes the to-do and the checkbox of things, then you're really not connected to the Lord. And those lies can take root. And those chains are real, and you don't even realize it. Well, this is just what I do. I'm a Christian with no joy and no hope and no peace, but every once in a while I get a glimmer of heaven, and I'm like, oh, one day. And you're like the guy who's been shot ten times, and you're dragging yourself on the ground, and you're like, it's fine, I'm alive. I'm alive in Christ. You're dying. You're going to die if you keep going that way. I'm fine. Rub some dirt in it, it's fine. When we look in the Bible, we see Jesus giving this simple plan, this humble strategy to stay connected to him. We have everything that we need. We also see tons of things in the Bible. My joy is your strength. I'll be your deliverer, your provider. I will comfort you, care for you. I'll give you peace and hope. I'll be your everything. I will be your God and you will be mine. All of these promises, all of these things, it's everything that we need, yet so often we are lacking in most of these things. And we have a, a funny quip or something to say to kind of excuse it. But there's a real problem there. If you don't understand this and what it means to be connected to Jesus, you can never understand what it means to be in prison and singing worship songs. You can never understand what it means to be overseas and be an underground church and being persecuted. You can never understand these things. Because it's our connection to Jesus is what gets us through everything and anything because we have everything. Our connection to Jesus gives us everything that we need. Doesn't mean that we like the things that we walk through or that they're fun or great, or we would even say, please, can I do that again? But we're able to walk through it and be like, and I was joyful through it. I mean, I know it's the Lord, but I have to say this. I don't know how I got through it. I know it's the Lord. But it just doesn't make sense how I was able to walk through that. And I was really joyful. How can I be joyful and walk through Jesus, so good. Yet we forget those simple truths, right? How do we stay close to him and not receive these lies from the world that are poisonous uh, to our very soul? So I want us to turn to John 15. That's where we're going to be today. You know, back in the day when I would have said that, you would hear the flipping of many pages. Flop, 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 flop. Now you hear nothing. <laughs> the phone. Face ID, flip on, open up the Bible app. We see here, Jesus is talking about being the vine. And he's very clear, and he says that we are the branches. Now, if you've been in church for longer than 10 minutes, you probably have heard this sermon before on Jesus talking about that he is the vine. I'm going to go over this again with you because as the Lord reveals things to me, I want them to be revealed to you. And maybe you have more of a revelation than I do on it, and that's great. I pray that the revelation you have would be my revelation as well. 
But as we grow in Christ, I just want you to know what the Lord has shown me about the church. And I'm not talking about Grace City, I'm talking about the church, the body of believers. Is there's just so many of us that don't understand this. You know, we feel like it has to be very complicated. Right? Man, it's so complicated. But it's so simple. But how many of y'all know that things that God gives us oftentimes are very simple, but yet hard to do? Right? Salvation's free, but it's not cheap. Here's salvation. It's free, but it will cost you everything. Wait, what? It's hard for us to figure out and walk through, but we have to understand uh, how important this is. This analogy that Jesus is giving the disciples, they would have understood this uh, very easily and, and it would have been very familiar. Uh, around them would have been tons of vineyards, there would have been vines everywhere. They would have understood this concept. Over the temple, there's a golden vine. It represents Israel, also represents the Messiah. Like it, it would have been very familiar to them. It would have, for us, it's kind of, you know, a little bit outside of there, unless you grow things in your backyard or something like that. Most of us aren't farmers and most people I know don't have a green thumb, so... Maybe that concept, but we can understand this concept of the connectedness that this uh, shows us. So we're going to read verses one through four first. This is Jesus saying this. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He takes away every branch that does not bear fruit in me. He prunes every branch that bears fruit so that it will bear more fruit. You are clean already because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. This is such a simple thing for us. Remain in him. But how often do we find ourselves not? And maybe it's an area of your life. You're, you've not given it over to the Lord. You're not connected to the Lord, and it's not bearing fruit, and you're wondering why. You know, we just had this storm that rolled through here. It was raining for a couple days. It was really windy. I don't know how it was at your house. That's how it was at mine. Trees are going back and forth. I'm like, oh my gosh. This is, we don't get rain for like ever. Now it's like pouring, right? If I don't have a, a fruit tree out front, actually, I'm not, uh, kind of unsure of what kind of tree it is anyways, but doesn't, it doesn't produce any fruit. But let's say I had a fruit tree out front and during that windstorm, the bran- a branch broke off and fell on the ground and it didn't have any fruit on it, but it broke and fell on the ground. And I'm like, oh, I gotta get that tomorrow after this storm's over with. And I go out the next day, and there's just all this fruit on it attached to it. Would I be surprised? Yeah. I would call a news station or something. I'd be like, this is really weird. I have a magic tree in my front yard because that's not how this works. It doesn't bear fruit. Oh, because I need to break the branch off, and then it will bear fruit. Never heard of this kind of tree before. It just doesn't happen. We all know that. We've all taken some kind of uh, science class that we understand how that works with plants, right, in biology. So for us, when we read this, we're like, yeah, duh, of course. I'm not an idiot, Mike. I understand that. But why is it then when we're disconnected from God that we don't bear fruit and we wonder why? I look at my own life. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like just like getting at you guys. I'm just saying like the body of believers, me too. There's an area of my life and it's just not bearing fruit. Things aren't going the way that it should be. It's not healthy. There's all this stuff happening. And I'm like, why, Lord? The enemy is against me, and oh, Lord, why? Am I Job? What are you trying to teach me here? Oh, you're not connected to me at all. There's no life there. That's why there's no fruit. Oh. All right, Lord. What process, what journey do I need to go on to the highest of mountains to find the answer? to? No, 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 no. 
It just, you need to be connected to me. You need to abide in me. You need to remain in me. And there will be fruit. It will happen. Like, you don't even have to try. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to be gifted or talented. You don't have to be anything. You just have to be present and connected. And you will bear fruit. I was watching a, a, a sermon from uh, Francis Chan the other day, and uh, he was just really honest with everybody. It was at a conference or whatever. It was old from, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or something. And he was just sharing. He's like, you know, uh, for years I've struggled with feeling like I needed to be enough when measure up to all these other intellectuals and pastors and theologians of our time and understand these things. But I, I don't. I just have a comprehension issue. I just can't comprehend these things as well as other people. But I will sit there when somebody makes a comment. And it's like, you know, it's so simple. And he's like, yes, I know, right? So simple. And he doesn't get it. He's like, I don't understand. He's like, I don't want to be the guy to say I don't understand and look like a fool and look like I'm stupid when everybody else gets it. You don't have to be anything to produce fruit. You know, as much as he has admitted of where he is in his comprehension, the platform that the Lord has given him and the influence across the nations and wh where he's using him is amazing. And it just goes to show with what he's admitting, nothing against him, but what he's admitting of where he is in the natural, it's very obvious that God is using him to reach the nations. You don't have to be anything specific for God to use you. You just have to be present, willing, and connected. That's it. So simple, yet so difficult. All right, let's keep reading. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit because apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. It's so simple, right? It's right there. Like I, I feel foolish even breaking it down even more because it's like I said what I said. It, let's look up fruit in the Greek. Oh, fruit, yes. Producing something, Okay. I mean, we can't really take this much further in what Jesus is explaining here in this simplicity of connecting uh, to him. If we stay connected to him, we will bear fruit. And, the, you know, the other part where we read, uh, I think it's in verse 3, where it talks about uh, being pruned. You know, sometimes we are producing fruit or we're growing in an area of our life. The Lord's doing something. We're seeing something happen. And then the Lord prunes us. And it's painful. And it's, we don't like it. And we're like, wait, no, we're making, the fruit's happening. Don't, don't prune us back. You're going to kill us. I learned about how to take care of a rose bush against my will a while back. We had one in the backyard. It was tall. It was like six foot. And it's kind of scraggly and thin. And it had some roses on it. And I was like, oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's supposed to look like that. I mean, it's pretty. It's got, you know, whatever. I discovered that you have to prune that thing back a lot. And it really hadn't been taken care of. And so it grew really tall. It had roses on it. It looked the part, but it just wasn't really healthy. And so we cut that thing back, and it looked like we'd killed it. I mean, it looked like you should have just taken it out of the ground and thrown it away. Like, it's, this is terrible. But in the next season of growth, it came back, and it was twice as full. It had a lot more blooms on it. And as we pruned it, it just kept doing that and getting better and better. Don't, don't shy away from being pruned. It's for your next season, you know? And, and it's not so that you can be the champion of the world and be like, I was pruned and look at me now, I'm just the hero. No, 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 no. But it's for something specific that God is using you for and what he's wanting to show you and do. 
Allow it to happen. Even if it's just for the revelation of who he is, that you will be able to receive that even more, do it. Allow it to happen. Be willing to go through that. You know, being pruned and seeing this happen is, uh, I compare it to uh, my mind of like uh, going and working out. Nobody in their right mind likes to work out. I say that because there's people that love it and they say that they love it and I think that they're crazy <laughs> because we should all, we should all hate it and, and dislike it. It's inconvenient, it's painful, it's smelly. You have to deal with other smelly people. There's comparison issues. You go into the gym and there's a guy seven times your size. He's lifting up the whole gym and you're like, I can only pick up 30 pounds. Okay, good. I'll get there. It's discouraging. But one thing we can all agree of is if you've stuck with it and you've, you've been eating healthy and you're working out, you'll start to see some results. We all love the results part. You pick up a pair of jeans you haven't been able to wear in two years and you're like, oh, look at that. I'm motivated to keep going. Not because you love the pain, because of the results, right? It's the same thing as we are, are pruned. Nobody looks back and they're like, love that. Season was so good. Now, like that's horrible. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but God was so good to me and what he did and what he walked me through in that season. I'd be willing to do it again because of that. That's how we get to this thing that is like, it doesn't make sense in our walk where you can say something that all logic says something else yet. Again, you're like, I know, I get it. I'm not crazy, but I trust the Lord. So of course I would do that again. Staying connected to Jesus, it's such a simple thing. Abide in me and you will produce fruit, fruit that will last. And if Satan can separate you from him and get you to forget that simple thing of being connected to Jesus and abiding in him, I, I'm, I'm telling you this, and what I hear you saying and listening to, and maybe this is not you, maybe this is somebody online, it's, the, it's one person online, none of us here. I hear you saying, I get it, I do that, Mike, I do that. I understand. I just hear it resonating from you. Because that's what I say too when I hear, I'm like, I get it. I get it. I understand what it means to abide. I understand what it means to remain. And I understand what it means to be connected to him. But what I would say to you is, is that your understanding of what that really means is probably a little bit unhealthy. Because otherwise, we would see this fruit that remains in our life, and that's just not what I see when I talk to people. And yet again, this is not guilt and condemnation coming from me. This is a, we really need to look and ask the Lord and say, Lord, what, where, where is that in my life? Where do I have these chains that I don't even realize? Where's the lies that I've believed that have taken root? Where I didn't even think about this before, but now instead of pleasing you, I'm wanting to please man. Where have I done that? And I'm not abiding in you, and I'm not connected to you. And I, I, when you look in the church today, the, the, the Western church will say, because I don't know a lot about the other church, only what I hear from other people and stuff, right? The Western church, there's a lot of struggles in the church. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of comparison. There's just a lot of stuff. And we understand that the, the church is messy, and we're not perfect, and I'm, I'm not saying that. But as we walk through these things in our life, there should be this joy and peace. There should be this fruit that is there. 
yeah, I'm a hot mess, but man, the Lord's really working on me, and I'm like not even, I'm not even concerned about it, because I know he's going he's gonna to walk me through it. There's a difference between recognizing that you're, <laughs> you haven't reached the mark yet, you're not perfect, and you can still have joy and walk through it, and then pretending that everything is fine and okay. In this verse, in verse 3, it said, uh, just like a branch that cannot produce fruit unless it is connected to the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. And I just want to reiterate that again. Of If there's an area in your life that is not bearing fruit, you've got to go to the Lord and say, why? Why is that, Lord? Would you reveal that to me? Would you show that to me of why it's not producing fruit? Like, what is it that I'm missing here? All right, I want to jump to verse 16. It says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that remains so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. Love that part of that last part there. So good. God, I would like a Ferrari. Oh, sorry. In Jesus name. Whatever you ask in my name. Guys, after this service. I expect a Ferrari to be outside for me because I said I did it. I did the for me. If this was true and if it was that simple and this is what he meant, I would not be using some of the ancient tools that I'm using in my garage. Lord, a new table saw in Jesus' name. Amen. Ah, yes. Good. What else can we fix up around here? That's not what this is saying at all. All right, let's take a pause on that. Let, let, let me ask you this question. What, what is it that you are struggling with? Please don't shout it out. Make your neighbor feel awkward. Think of that thing that you struggle with. And like I said in the beginning, there's, there's a rootedness there to that in that lie. Think about what that is. You know what it is. It should come to your mind right away. And is the rootedness, identity, is it acceptance, comparison, feeling love, self-worth, right? We all have struggled with something like this or similar. But when we look at the scripture here, it's everything that we need is answered for us and leads us in a direction towards Jesus. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Last week when we talked through John 3.16, and I brought up Jeremiah 33, and it says, I have loved you with an everlasting love that was anchored in eternity's past and continues into eternity's future. I know that's really hard for us to comprehend and wrap our head around, but it means that I've always loved you and I always will. You didn't choose me, I chose you. But think of our culture, think of like around us, and maybe you've never said this, uh, but you, I'm sure, have heard this in some way. Culture and people around us in the world would say things like, I didn't choose this game, the game chose me. I didn't choose Ryman, Ryman chose me. Y'all know what song that's from? That artist hit me up after service and told me. I got a prize for you, I'm just kidding, I don't. I just want to know if you know. Why would we say something like that? Because there's this idea of that I'm so great, I wasn't even aware of what was going on, and yet this thing chose me because they saw value in me. Right? Even in our culture of movies and stories and books and stuff, if you think about it, right? You're the one, Neo. You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? You pulled the sword from the stone. A diamond in the rough, Aladdin. 
over and over. Even in like, you know, romantic movies and stuff like that or romantic comedies. A lot of women like to watch, right? There's this ugly duckling has all this value and doesn't know it. And then something happens and she's transformed into this beautiful woman and the, the man of her dreams loves her, falls in love with her, right? This value that has been found that they were unaware of. And so there's no pride there in it, but it's like, oh, me? You chose me? We see this over and over and over again in movies, that we are the hero, the unknowing hero who has this power inside of us to become an Avenger or an X-Men or a whatever, right? And we're this, this hero thing. It's why people do the things that they do, even good things for the wrong reasons, why they get into ministry or why they become a pastor or why they go into the military. I know I'm making this very specific. It sounds very specific, right? <laughs> Not me, some other guy. It's this hero complex of needing to bring this value. Oh, you won't do it? Oh, you won't jump in front of the bullet? I'll do it. I'll save their life. I'll drag the people out of the burning building. I'll do that. I'll be the hero. So you can see the value and worth in who I am, right? We all have this nature, maybe not that extreme, but of wanting to be recognized and valued. But here in the scripture, we have, we have it right here. We have this story right here. This is a real life movie. I did not choose you, or you did not choose me, but I chose you. This is from us, our perspective, someone who is unknown, undeserving, didn't do anything. We didn't bring any value to the table, yet in eternity's past, his love for us is anchored there. He has loved us and he has chose us. Next part says, and appointed you to go and bear fruit. So he chose you and he appointed you to do what? Go and bear fruit. Like I said, so much of the church understands this concept intellectually, but they don't understand it in their heart. I mean, what would the church look like? Just say in Las Vegas, what would the church look like if the majority of us understood this and we stayed connected to the Lord and we were bearing fruit? All of us, we were bearing fruit. Would the church look different or have we arrived? Are we there? Like, Mike, that's what we are doing. We are there. We all are bearing fruit. Oh, my bad. This message is for me. How would Las Vegas look? How would the church look? Would it be different? I think so. That's my opinion. I believe that it would. It's so important that we understand this for ourselves and what we pass on to our kids. You know, a lot of the things that I recognize and see that I've passed on to my kids is striving, earning, not being good enough. All the things that I said about me, it's amazing how that just gets passed along. I didn't create a syllabus for that for them and walk them through that. It just happened naturally. But by God's grace, in my old age, he's changing my heart, and I'm making sure to pass that along to them as well. Lord, would you heal their hearts in that area? They have not had to walk through that for as long as I had. Thank God. Lord, would you change their hearts on that? As we walk through life with people around us and they see that joy and they see that fruit happening there, that's what makes them interested, not because we have fancy programs or we're doing all this cool stuff that we say, and like, oh, yeah, you should become be a part of it. But they see this fruit that's there, and they're like, what's that? Because we can't do it without Jesus. And that's where we say we have our Christianese where we're like, they'll see Jesus in you. They'll see the fruit that you're bearing because you're connected to him. And they begin to ask these questions of what is going on with you. And then it says, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he 
will give you. Of course, it's not my Ferrari example. I don't know why I always use that. I've used that since I've been a youth pastor. I don't even like Ferraris. Like, I mean, if somebody gave me one, I would take it, but <laughs> I would probably sell it because I just don't, I don't like Ferraris. I don't know why, but that's my example, so you're welcome. Jesus gives us everything we need here, our identity, our value, our, wor- our worth. I choose you for a purpose, for you to take action and go bear fruit. But you can only do this if you remain in him. You know, he wants this loving relationship with you, and he wants you to bear fruit, but he wants you to remain in him first. And what's interesting is, is we, we want to do this backwards. You know, this example of what Jesus is giving us is that you remain connected to Jesus, and you're pursuing him, and you're pursuing his heart. And you're praying things like this that you wouldn't normally pray out of selfishness. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. That is, that is not a selfish prayer. It's actually kind of a foolish prayer in the natural because he will show you that. He will break your heart for what breaks his. But the only way I can pray that, because I'm not so special that I would pray that on my own. The only way that I can pray that is by being connected to him. And I'm like, oh, this is just the natural progression. I, I want to know you more. Lord, break my heart. For, I want to know what's breaking your heart right now in the world. What, where am I oblivious to maybe even things around me that I don't even see? Because I'm just fleshly and I'm selfish. Break my heart, Lord, for what breaks yours. As we press into the Lord, as we grow in our relationship and our love for him, it grows. There just fruit happens naturally. It just happens. And then your prayers begin to change. Instead of, Lord, bless me with the Ferrari. Maybe you haven't pray, prayed that. But, you know, Lord, can I make more money? Can you give me a job? I want this job over here where I make more money. I want some more security in life. You know what? I've been really sacrificing my whole life, and I really just need some more money. Lord, would you give me this relationship over here? I'm tired of being single. Can you just bring me into this relationship? Now, there's nothing wrong with asking the Lord for a raise or making more money or relationships. But when it becomes the first and foremost thing that you ask for and it's not rooted in Jesus, it's a problem. When you're connected to Jesus and you're pursuing him and your heart is pursuing him, everything about you, your paradigm, everything begins to shift and change in what you view. And then you begin to go to the Father, instead of praying those things of, of, Lord, give me this, do this, do that, I need this in my life, you begin to take a step back and say, Father, I want Jesus' will done. Father, I want you to be glorified, and through whatever way or whatever circumstance, he's going to answer and say yes to that. But it's something you really desire and want. Why? Because your heart has now been aligned with Jesus' because you are connected to him. And everything changes, your perspective changes, what you think is important changes holding on to your money, holding on to your resources, it's your time. Not doing this, that's dangerous. I couldn't possibly do that. The Lord wouldn't ever ask me to do that. That would be foolish. That's how you get into that mode of those conversations, which aren't true. Because the Lord absolutely would ask you to do those things. He would absolutely ask you to give up those things. I mean, we see this in Scripture. Jesus says it all the time. Drop your nets and follow me, right? If a man doesn't hate his father and mother, right? Oh, I gotta hate my mom and dad? Okay. Giving up everything for him. Of course he's gonna ask you for that. So let's take a step back. The church, us, we usually do this backwards. Like I said, in the church there's struggles, there's anxiety, there's all these different things. But when we look at the scripture, we start with the father, we ask him for the things that we want and we expect the Lord to bless it and to produce fruit and then we say we'll abide in Jesus. And then we'll stay connected because of those things. 
But we, we push oftentimes those things that we're asking the Lord to do and he's not doing them and we make them happen. Have you ever made a bad business decision? Have you ever been connected into something that you shouldn't? A relationship, a partnership, a, a money, business transaction, something, right? And you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do that? You made it happen. And then you're like, Lord, can you make some fruit happen out of this? It's like, what are you doing? No. You just literally cut that branch off of the vine and it's just laying there dead now. It's not connected to me. It has nothing to do with what I wanted. But when we do it the right way, our heart begins to change. We'll have the band come up. This is where I want to leave you with this. I want you to ask yourself a couple of these questions. Are you working or are you trusting? Listen, I'm a, a lifelong striver. Striving, accomplishing, doing, making stuff happen, developing, being the best, being competitive. Even if I wasn't the best, I was the best, right? Pushing, pushing, pushing for those things to happen. And I brought that into my walk with the Lord as well. Pushing for things to happen, striving, making them happen. Are you working and things are not connected? There's no fruit. You have to ask, if there's no fruit there in your life, you have to ask why. Why is there no fruit here in my life? And again, this is not to like beat you up and make you feel bad, but ask the Lord. He's gonna let you know. Yeah, because you're not connected to me in this area. You're doing it on your own. You're striving to make it happen. You're pushing for it. You're pushing your own will. You're not really asking me. You're not connected to me here. It's this branch that's been cut off and is, it's dying. But it's simple, guys. And I want to see you guys walking in the fullness of what God has for you. There's so much more. And I know everybody's in a different place. So if you don't feel like you're in this place, that's fine. Tuck that away for the Lord wants to speak to you later on it. But I think for most of us, that is absolutely where we are in some area of our life. Where we're trying to make it happen. Guys, we should be able to, my whole life, when I look at things that I've gone through and difficulties, there's seasons in my life where I'm like, I did not have joy going through that. I stumbled through it. I was being drugged through it, fighting, kicking, screaming. Lord, why, why are you doing this to me? Why do you hate me so much? Lord, is there sin from my past that I'm reaping now? What is going, the enemy is against me so much. No, you're just not connected to me. I don't want to see you guys striving and, and not having joy and not having the things that God has for you in your life. But it's just a simple, it's a simple prayer. Lord, where am I not connected? Can you show me? I want, I want to be connected. I want you guys to be overwhelmed by his joy and his peace and his hope is love. It's the only way we can get through it, guys. It's the only way that we can love one another, right? We want other people to know Jesus, right? Right? That's not, that's the right answer. Even if you don't feel it, that's the right answer. We want other people to know who Jesus is. How are they going to know that? By our stress and anxiety? By our dysfunction? By another well-known pastor in the media who had a moral fail failure? That's how they're going to know? have to stay connected and I want to see that for you not just for anything for Grace City or even for the kingdom but for you personally I want you to know that so that it, when something happens in your life the first person you run to is Jesus whether it's a joyful moment whether you're weeping 
Would you run to Jesus? I, I can't get through this without you, Lord. Immediately, that's, well, you wouldn't say, well, all we can do now is pray. No, the first thing that you do is you run into his arms. But that's because you have that relationship where you're connected. So of course, of course that's what you're gonna do. We're gonna worship and I, I invite you to um, come up front and get prayer if you want it. Or you can stay in your seats or you can just worship. But I, I just focus on that. Ask the Lord that question. Lord, is there a place where I'm disconnected from you? Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you would just reveal yourself to us even more in this moment. Lord, we just pray that we would understand your love, your kindness. And Lord, you would just reveal to us these places where we're disconnected, the lies that we've believed that have taken root. Maybe they're really old from a long time ago. But Lord, would you just take us back to that place even right now and show us? Lord, give us the strength to give it over to you and to let go of control, to allow you to come in and give us healing and direction. Lord, we want to be connected to you. We want to bear fruit. We want to have joy and peace and hope in our life. And we want to understand your love even more so we can share with others.